0: So we're thankful. We're thankful. Hey, let me start with a silly story. There was, decades ago, Time Life magazine publishing organization discovered that their profit margins had shrunk to amazingly low levels. So to remedy this situation, they hired 350 staff members that were commissioned to write these heartbreaking pleas to the readers whose subscriptions were about to expire. Letters saying things like, will you dare face your children without Time magazine on your coffee table? (laughs) So enormous quantities of these letters were prepared manually. Well, that is until IBM came to their rescue, providing a machine to replace these 350 staff, people. Millions were saved in the overhead expenses, and even more of these letters begging people to either keep or to start their subscriptions were sent out. Millions. The system worked flawlessly until the IBM machine malfunctioned. Somehow, in one of the addressees, there was a glitch And a loop continued to where 12,634 tear-jerking letters were sent to one lone sheep herder in Montana. And the man who hadn't received mail for years painstakingly took his knife and carefully opened each, each passionate plea that was written to him. Three weeks later, red eyed and weary up to his hips in mail, he finally made out a check for $6, filled out a subscription coupon, sent it to the president of Time Life magazine personally with the following note I give up. <laughs> After reading through all that, okay, you're going to get my six bucks. I guess you could say that the old rancher had mercy on this major corporation who invested so much in just him to finally get a magazine. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, this, this word mercy is translated, used over 500 times in Scripture. One Roman philosopher back at the time of Jesus described how the Roman culture viewed mercy. He actually said it was regarded as a disease of the soul. Can you imagine? Well, you can imagine, can't you? One Bible scholar said mercy has always been foreign to the world and not rewarded by the world. Think about how Jesus shocked the culture of his day by his mercy extensions in befriending and accepting the outcasts, the cheaters, and the the degenerates, the immoral, the drunks, the prostitutes, the society rejects. Jesus exampled mercy and the world around him rejected him. In fact, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first and so since the world rejected jesus when he expressed mercy why would those of us who want to be jesus followers why would we expect anything different they turned against jesus and he never held a grudge he never got better he never retaliated so neither should we let's back up just a minute think about what jesus has been saying This is what the blessed life looks like. He stands up on the mountain and gives this sermon. He says, it's the person who admits to their own spiritual poverty. He said, it's the person who grieves over that realization. He said, it's the person who rests under the control of the only one who can do anything about it. Meekness. He says it's the person who inwardly desires, as Nathan told us last week, that right standing that only comes from God, has an insatiable appetite for it. And now Jesus says the blessed life who has received this mercy now extends it to others. And the mercy that Jesus is talking about literally means to view life and feel what someone is going through and then Respond accordingly. Barclay has a great definition that lines up with the Hebrew understanding. Look what he said. Mercy, the ability to get inside someone else's skin until we see things with their eyes, think things with their mind, should we feel things with their feelings, and then act on their behalf. When we extend mercy towards someone, it's not because they deserve it. It's because they need it. It's forgiveness for their guilt. It's compassion for their need. Which takes us back to our own need before God. Wiersbe says, mercy is a bridge that God built to man and mercy helps us build a bridge to others. We are more than just recipients of mercy. We are also conduits of his mercy to others. Mercy was never meant to be hoarded. It was meant to be shared. Jesus himself said, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Yes, we receive mercy from God because we need forgiveness from our sinfulness and compassion for our needs. And what we have freely received, so we freely give. Extending mercy to other people for for those of us who are wanting to be Christ followers, that's not an option. You're not even supposed to have to think about it. It shouldn't be a decision that you have to continue. It's a given. You're a Christ follower. You give mercy. What God has done for us, it's what we do for others. It's just like love in that aspect. It's not an option. One biblical scholar said, mercy is a spiritual boomerang. What God throws to us, it hits and bounces off to others, and then it becomes kind of a pinball thing. It just keeps bouncing around. Comes to us, goes to others. Look what Bill Bright said, the founder of Campus Crusade. God is the grand master of mercy. I love that. His very nature desires to relieve us of the self-imposed misery and distress we experience because of our sins. It all starts with God, the grandmaster of this terrific quality. Throwing mercy toward us, each one of us. And I think that's why every time we stop and as Danielle prepared our minds again before we took in the Lord's body and blood, it's why the sacrifice has such deep meaning. Look how the theologian Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote it when Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of the work for man's salvation passed out of the realm of prophecy and became historical fact. God has now had mercy on us. All the mercy that God will ever have on man, he has already had when Christ died. This is the totality of mercy. God can act toward us in grace because He already had all mercy. The fountain is now open and flowing, and it flows freely. And this mercy that flows freely to each one of us now flows freely to others. The Puritan writer Thomas Merton, I love the old English script. Look at how he said it. A melting disposition Whereby we lay our hearts, lay, we lay to our hearts the miseries of others, and are ready on all occasions to be instrumental for their good. I mean that you could just—that's a poem. MacArthur fleshes out what conduits of mercy means. Look, mercy does not hold a grudge, harbor resentment, capitalize on another's failure or weakness. Or publicize another's sin. The vindictive, heartless, indifferent are not subjects of Christ. They show they have passed Christ's kingdom. Just kept going right on by. When they pass need by on the other side, as a priest and the Levite did in the story of the Good Samaritan, they show they have passed Christ by. It's something we can challenge each other when we see us struggling. With being merciful, we can gently exhort one another. Wait, wait, wait. We're we're Christ followers. This is what we do. We show mercy, especially to people who don't deserve it. We never do it because they deserve it. We do it because they need it. We're merciful. And what a mistake to be hesitant in sharing this mercy. It's meant to pay forward quickly and promptly. Kent Hughes has a great example of a story about a preacher in the 19th century who happened across a friend whose horse had been killed accidentally. And a crowd of onlookers expressed their words of sympathy, but the preacher stepped forward with mercy and hat in hand, after taking it off his head, he said, I am sorry, five pounds. How much are you sorry? And he put the five pounds in his hat and he passed it to the next guy. Mercy costs our Heavenly Father more than we can understand. So it makes sense that it's going to cost us something. In fact, if my mercy never costs me anything, I wonder if I'm understanding what mercy is. This is a sobering quote from Barnhouse again. Look at this. Christ sends none away empty but those who are full of themselves. We're back full circle on the Sermon on the Mount, aren't we? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The guy who realizes he's got nothing in here on his own spiritually. What a tragedy to not realize and mourn over our own poverty of spirit. What a waste to be blind to our own need for God's control and righteousness. And what a missed opportunity to be so full of myself as to bypass God's offer of mercy and the privilege that he gives me to extend that to others. Adrian Rogers, one of my heroes, had this in his mercy sermon. He said there are three types of people. Look at the screen. There are the beater-uppers, those who steal, kill, and destroy. These people say, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to get it. They would be the robbers in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, next, there are the (laughs) passer-uppers, those who see the need but walk on by. These people say, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. They would be like the priest and the Levites. And finally, Roger says, there are the picker-uppers, those in who compassion is moved to action. These people say, what's mine is yours, and I'm going to help you. This would be those like the Samaritan who are living out the word of God and putting love into action. These are the merciful. One of the most famous stories that we look back and remember you've probably heard this before and I'll say it again with Abraham Lincoln is that shortly after the Civil War he was speaking to a crowd in Washington DC from the balcony of the White House. He was explaining his plans for reconstruction. The country's been terribly divided now what, what do we do to pull it back together? And at the end of his speech a famous senator from Iowa shouted out loud from the crowd, and what do we do with the rebels? Well, you know who he was talking about. He's talking about us. And the crowd kind of worked into a bit of a frenzy, and they all shouted back after that senator from Iowa, Yankee. After he shouted that thing out there, they all responded, hang them, hang them. That's what we do with the rebels. We hang them. And the story is told that in this moment, Lincoln's young son, Tad, who was 11 years old at the time, was standing right next to the president on the balconies he was delivering this speech and he looked up at his dad and he said no papa no not hang them hang on to them and lincoln smiled and said that's it my son tad has the answer we're not going to hang them we're going to hang on to them and so the country started to That's mercy. You're blessed if you're merciful. It's proof that you've received mercy. Father, we think by our cultural standards that mercy is something to be earned. We think we've got to see something in that person before they're going to get any mercy from us. But if that would have happened with us, if you would have waited for us to respond, why well, our response would have always been less than it should be, and we never would have received mercy. But as was so beautifully illustrated this morning, when we were in our shame and hiding, you came and found. Make us those kind of people. Make us merciful in our marriages. Make us merciful with our children. Make us merciful with our parents, with our friends, with our co-workers. Let this be a moment where we decide we're not going to weigh whether or not we're going to be people of mercy. We are merciful people. That's what we do first. It's our first response. We show mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's um, make this a little bit stronger and let's stand together. Just kind of punctuate this truth that that's the kind of people we're going to be. Let's sing this.